0: Welcome to CryptoSapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. CryptoSapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless Dow, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Hello, everyone. We are back with another episode of Crypto Sapiens. And today we are talking with Suprio, founder and CEO of Hype, to learn about the NFT social network that enables collectors and curators to connect stories to NFTs in their collections and we discuss providing a space tailored to the uniqueness of NFT communities and creating the culture, history, and lore of the NFT universe. Let's get started.
1: My name is Supriyo. I am the founder and CEO for HYPE, uh, which is a social storytelling platform for NFTs. Um, I have been in uh, tech for the last 12 years, and before uh, HYPE, I was leading the product and design team at uh, Smart Home for Alexa. And before that, I uh, built the product design team at uh, Klaviyo in Boston. And um, before that, led the product design team at Flipkart. So I had been in de- similar sort of roles <laughs> in, in in the traditional web two world. And uh, while I was doing that, um, I also come from a software engineering background and have been uh, mostly uh, sort of... Uh, tinkering through uh, Web3 things for the last couple of years, albeit more passively, uh, I would say like since 2017. And uh, um, yeah, my, my first uh, exposure to uh, NFTs were through CryptoKitties back in 2019. And uh, yeah, that, that's how uh, you know I started getting embedded uh, into the community and sort of kept ramping up uh, on side of my contributions and just learning.
0: Wow, that's great. You know, for me, I'm always fascinated by stories of people who have jobs not just in traditional web2 space but like in these leading fan companies, right? So Amazon being an example I guess of that type of uh, type of business, how do you feel that Web 2 either inspired your transition and also kind of um, fed? into how you approach development in the web3 space
1: right i i I think um a, a lot of times uh web2 has been looking into you know like uh building services or building platforms or products which onboard the next billion people onto the internet, right? That's how Web2 products and platforms have approached things, right? uh, Coming from a developing nation, like I grew up in India and then moved away. Um, I think, uh, personally, there are still a lot of people who don't know how to use basic internet services. And, you know, like it's just about a varying degree of digital literacy. And uh, I think... uh, approaching uh, with that mindset of how we can you know like really open up the gates to like internet revolution for people had been something which web 2 companies generally aspire inspire to some degree right and i think the same philosophy applies on web 3 where we are now you know like a few more steps ahead where we are thinking that hey okay web 3 is uh, you know built by developers for developers it's a pretty niche space still how do we really cross the chasm and you know like bring in the rest of the traditional web to crowd right so we we are even further out uh, in terms of adoption and i think uh, some of that thought process is really necessary where we are not trying to build super niche small little products here and there which just don't scale out after some time right we the only way Adoption for Web3 really happens is when you approach it from a billion people scale mindset. And that's when, you know, you are really looking at a really at a big wide spectrum of people uh, with varying degree of digital literacy and seeing that, you know, are the things you are building really easy enough for everybody to understand? Or is it, you know, like still super complex for an average internet user?
0: Yeah, you know, for me, and not to get too far away, because I think these are all wonderful talking points, so I do want to address them. But um, for me, one of the interesting things or questions is, how is Web2 kind of owning that onboarding experience for the next billion users, right, to bring bring them onto the Internet? And, you know, where are the difficulties or the challenges really that they can't scale or that they can't really take that next step so clearly as maybe web three like is web three able to do that more easily uh because of just you know because of how it works and what are the challenges then conversely in how it's creating those onboarding experiences
1: right right Um, i i think um fundamentally here uh web 3 is a lot more participative um in theory you are looking at products which are truly built for inclusion a lot of times you know um web 2 essentially is clouded by human bias right you know you, you are looking at uh, people building products for someone in you know like a the developing country, and they're building it from their mindset of sitting here in US. And this user psyche is very different. The uh the, the circumstances of where people live in and how they would use products are very different. And I think that's where uh having things really decentralized and not by not you know like being restricted by boundaries is something which I really love about Web Three. Web Three, you was built on top of a remote culture, right? It was built on top of uh, abolishing boundaries in that sense. So I think that way, Web3 is a natural progression in terms of building inclusive experiences. And I I think, you know, like that, if done right, it it will really open up all of those artificial boundaries we like to put in (laughs) otherwise.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And actually, so there's so much more I want to explore there. But before we do, I do want to make sure we talk about hype, right? Because I know that these meta discussions, right? These really high-level philosophical uh, conversations are very interesting and uh, definitely a big part of uh, this show, what we do here. Uh, but we do want to talk about that transition from your web 2 uh, you know job to web three, and how that became hype. Like, what? How did you get from all of what you were doing before? To dabbling in Web three, you know, f- discovering Crypto Kitties early, and then saying, you know what, we need to create some sort of like social layer for NFTs, and then having that become hype.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, th- there's a lot to unpack there. So, <laughs> uh, take, taking a step back, uh, I think you know when uh, I first got introduced uh, to Crypto Kitties, I really liked the idea of like actually. Owning something for what I was doing it anyway, like I had been playing games like like since ages, and you know, like with crypto kitties. Even though the experience at that time was very rudimentary, based on you know, like what the, uh, uh, the Ethereum chain at that time provided, right. But uh, the fact that I could uh, sort of independently. Owned what came out of my decision making during in terms of the breeding or buying and things like that. That was really fascinating to me, and I think as a collector, uh, that sort of really extended at that time. I thought could be applied to you know like other sorts of artifacts, not just uh, in game items, but you know like just a regular art or maybe music assets or real estate or whatever, whatnot. Right, any kind of artifact which people own today. So I think fast forward. um, NFTs were still sort of, you know, like a very few handful of people, even till 2020, I think, in the mid when uh, it was just a few people who were still exploring the ecosystem. In 2021, when everything sort of just catapulted into popularity, uh, what I realized was majority of the NFT ecosystem still had been sort of over-indexed about the user journey of buying and selling, right? That was what was making news, like, hey, CryptoPunks was being sold for so much money, and uh, this Bode is being sold for so much money, and everything was about value accrual. But something which uh, was kind of overlooked was that what makes an NFT community or, say, an ape or a cat or a a punk uh, today, right? And and what that means is that punks are punks today because of the community and the context and the history and, you know, all the artifacts which have been created around it, which really creates iconic moments through those points in time which, um, you know, eventually make them a living brand, right? So when we are looking at NFTs themselves, they are also a slow evolution of a brand itself and that's what hype is about hype allows um you know uh, d- uh, allows a platform or an opportunity for people who own nfts to build out their own sort of brand around the nft itself so today if you talk about uh when you are looking at your dao punk or when you are looking at your ape right wh- what is it that makes your ape special what is it that you know makes it stand out among other 10,000 apes, right? And that's what you would want to express as as an identity artifact uh, using hype. And when you do that, uh, what we do uh, through the platform is we attach it permanently to your NFT. So unlike you sending out a tweet about it and then it disappearing after a few months or you posting it on Discord and then that disappearing in a message thread, it just gets permanently attached to the NFT itself and then it lives there forever and as you grow that nft brand your lore is so much more rich and diverse that it is bound to command a higher premium over the ones which are not lore so that's generally the broad thesis of how uh, hype came to be and what we want intend to build around it
0: yeah so walk me through uh social experience of nfts because i think you you touched on a few interesting things here and many that i personally agree with i mean i think a lot of the value of NFTs really comes from their communities, the people, you know, that either identify with the individual NFT that they purchased or with just the general community, right? The vibe, the mission, what what they're trying to do in this space, right? Um, so I think that there's definitely a lot of truth in, like, creating platforms uh, or a lot of value, I should say, in creating platforms that um, are representative of those truths, right, of that mission, of that brand, of that identity, uh, of those NFTs and of of your own personal collection. Um, So walk me through maybe how hype differentiates itself, maybe without having to name some of the other uh, platforms that are being developed in the social NFT space, from those that are being created.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I would say that um, the, the way Hype differentiates itself is it, it, it's a, a platform where, you know, doesn't matter you have one NFT or 10,000 NFTs, you still have the same degree of, you know, uh, importance or uniqueness among others. And what, what that means is that uh, to contribute on Hype, you don't need to keep buying nfts right even if you have uh one you could still you know build out a pretty creative experience around it and the the way it ties back to uh you know like social experiences or movements today is but uh, an example right like cc0 right We people have been talking about it uh, recently and cc0 is uh um, more sort of an ideology um, in terms of how art is collected, what you do with IP rights and things like that. And toads, for example, is a manifestation of that idea, right? And a community sort of rallying around it. And uh, what hype really does is gives those ideas a common form uh, beyond a Discord server for other people to look at. And uh, when you do that, it sort of gets associated always with that common manifestation, which is a Toad NFT, and uh, people are able to, you know, like rally around it, interact around it, sort of talk around it. And that eventually uh, sort of all comes down to how active or how creative you are around the NFT itself. You could talk about it, you know, once a year, or you could talk about it every day, and um, hype allows both sort of size of the spectrum in that sense.
0: Well, that's interesting. So for anyone who's listening uh, and doesn't know what CC0 is, CC0 is just the Creative Commons license, which basically is uh, no rights reserved, right? So I believe that means that uh, anyone could use, uh, you know, either the art form, its story in its complete sense, commercialize it, et cetera. With that having been clarified, I... Find it truly interesting what you've just said in terms of you know both the uh, discussions happening around uh, CC zero, but also in terms of lures. While perhaps there isn't a way to have full ownership in every project, right? Because some do reserve rights for the NFTs that you purchase. Uh, some uh, you know do not ha- give you any rights at all, uh, but others do. Regardless of that there is an opportunity for someone to cr- add value to the NFT that they own through storytelling. I think that's a really powerful thing.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, just to touch on that, I think uh, when you, uh, when we say par- uh, storytelling, it's also about really building out an expansive universe around the NFT itself. You know, like you could look at an NFT as just being a pixelated image of a person, right? But you can let your imagination run wild that okay like you know what is this person up to what are their likes and dislikes what do they stand for and things like that and that's how you really build out a better presence for them um especially in an increasingly digital world where you know like uh, those digital personas are slowly you know like building out and sort of blending in with the real people out there like i mean you can look at Twitter accounts today, and there are so many of them which are just NFTs. You don't know the person behind them, but you know what they are up to, what they talk about, and what they stand for.
0: Yeah, you know, for me, and and obviously not just for me, this is just generally truth, uh, storytelling has been the way that we've kept a historical record going back to, you know, before we could write, right? Um, So I find it just super interesting that, that we're bringing this, like, very... Uh, you know, n- I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, native, uh, primitive way of uh, informing our NFTs, which are incredibly complex digital, you know, beings in terms of uh, they're, they're programmatic, they exist on a blockchain, all of these things that to many people don't doesn't really make sense. But we really bring it back to something that is, uh, you know, recognizable, uh, by many of us, which is like, look, uh, look at the story, read the story. There's value here beyond just the technology. And, you know, it, like you were saying, in an increasingly digital world, that's refreshing. So I do want to touch on something that you talked about early, which I think hype is doing really good at, and that's uh, user experience, right? And so when we were first talking about your experience in the traditional Web2 space and that transition into the Web3 space, one of the things that I feel needs a lot of attention um, is user experience and user interfaces, right? I think Web2, because of the amount of experience that they have and number of people that they have building in it and the funds to support development over time and iterate, et cetera, they really, for the most part, have done a really good job at um, creating good, Experiences for a user to, you know, manage, you know, whether it's their bank account or or whatever, you know, but they they can use these applications in a friendly way. Whereas in Web three, usually that's not the case. It's really complicated. So, wh- wh- where did that sit in terms of the development of hype, and how do you think that that can improve just overall in the Web three space?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, for us, uh, I, I when. We were building the platform. I would like to say we attempt building Hype as like a three equal important pillars. We look at product, we look at, you know, design, as well as we look at tech. So all three are equally important, right? It's like a stool. If you have one of the legs smaller than the other, the stool is going to stay. So I think um, what what's really important with Hype right now is uh, we instead of us just shipping fast and building a, a band-aid experience what we want to do is we want to you know like take a holistic look at whether you know it's something which people understand is it working well for them do they like it or not and when i say really people it's it's about uh, harnessing how web3 development is approached differently right like at, at the moment Um, like instead of us, uh, being on a Slack channel, you know, closed away from, from the, from the community who is using it, we made it a point that the entire team just sits on Discord and, you know, like they are able to interact with everybody on the community and they're able to look into feedback. And we are actively using that to make sure that our workflows make sense. And what we also want to do is we want to make sure that when we are designing something, when it comes to user interfaces, uh, it's extremely convenient within the bounds of what constraints we have to work with when it comes to Web3, right? So if, if you take those constraints away, how can we make all the user flows as simple as possible, as delightful as possible, so that when you are using it, it doesn't feel like a job, it doesn't feel like a chore, it's something where you would want to spend time on. That's generally like our product philosophy of how we would want to build it and how we are continuing to build. I think on Web three, my my big my biggest uh, sort of pet peeve with Web three experiences is that it's still really far uh, from being convenient and easy to use. Uh, So, like simple examples like MetaMask, right, which your primary gateway to Web three world, like making a transaction through MetaMask or making a something as simple as swap, right? It, it's like really, really hard and understanding gas yes and explaining it to somebody without you, you know, really getting into the nitty gritties of how it really works. It's hard. Like, you know, like it's not as simple as just, you know, picking up your phone and when mowing something to someone. So I think we are, uh, we, we are far away from that level of convenience, but I think things are getting a lot better, interfaces are getting a lot better, and we are You know, getting into a spot where we are really considering good, delightful experiences beyond desktop, I think that's really important. Like most people on the planet today do not own like a really good laptop, right? And it cannot be only desktop experiences. We have to be, uh, you know, like really cognizant about building uh, equally good first class citizen experiences on uh, mobile and other sort of devices.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's really good. Um, and to your point in terms of MetaMask, I mean, even managing your gas, like, you know, which is kind of crucial to anything you do on the blockchain, is so difficult. Like, honestly, yes, I appreciate the many different ways that I can adjust my gas, but a lot of times I think that that just... Enables people to make mistakes. I know I personally uh, have in the past where I ended up paying $700 for gas for something and didn't get anything um, because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So, and, you know, so I think that that is just something that uh, is, needs tremendous improvement as we are building technology that is meant to be accessible to be facilitating the onboarding of everyone, a billion people many to your to your point who uh, don't have the technology that they need to support it and if they did don't have the experience or maybe even the uh, access to the information to learn how to use that
1: right 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 and i think it also goes back to um you know like um, bringing in some of those points of convenience from web2 to the web3 world i know that it's it's another meta discussion of you know how centralized or decentralized certain things need to be right so for instance when you look at metamask it's it's tr- truly user custodial right so if you make make a user error too bad you know <laughs> like you are on your own uh, but but that's why things are so complicated and if you Compare it to you know something which is a little bit more centralized, uh, like Coinbase. They are in that position of making it easier and more convenient for user because they are taking some of those complexity away, in in exchange of custody, right? So that's that's something which I think is an important discussion. Um, like as a whole, the community needs to have that. What what is that fine line? Where do you want to draw the line? Where um, bringing in mainstream convenience? Is important enough that, you know, there are some trade-offs you would be willing to make. And who what what are the degree degrees of trade-offs you would be wanting to make?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think so. I, I think I you're you're doing a fantastic job right now at directing us to the next point that maybe we should be talking about. But before I do, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep pulling on that thread in terms of centralization versus decentralization. I think definitely I think as we fall deeper and deeper in the rabbit rabbit hole. Um, after discovering our first token or our first NFT, I think that there is definitely uh, many of us who will continue to seek out that decentralization, right? That self-sovereignty, that ownership in this space. But when we're getting started, do we, should we be expecting that of everyone? And personally, to me, the answer is absolutely not. Because there are many different things that someone needs to learn where if they are not mindful of or careful of uh, learning them in the right way they can end up getting wrecked you know having assets stolen so it is it's important for us to recognize the value also of these um, custodians if you will like which, which is the reason why I think exchanges are popular especially for someone just getting started and so with that we can talk about some of the integrations that Hype has recently done uh, in order to facilitate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for us, uh, what we really wanted to build out even at right from the onset of our MVP was that we would want to make things which are, uh, you know, confirming to the best of both worlds in terms of Web 2 as well as Web 3. Now, when it comes to that, um, we we had to make a choice that, hey, you know, like, do do we want to keep going for uh, just uh, hex addresses and just use that as people's identity, or introduce a concept of you know username, which people are used to? And we decided to you know like go for having usernames because end of the day, um, a high profile at its core is just. Your own curational layer of the of the assets you own in your wallet, and that that that's what makes your profile unique. And as long as you have full custody of that, you know, like there is no reason why you wouldn't want another sort of user friendly abstraction on top of that. Having your username, having your brand, how you are used to on the world of Twitter or Discord and things like that. That was one of the things. Another thing was that when it comes to stories or load itself there was a question of, you know, whether we want to be fully on-chain right now or do we want to make that choice of getting there progressively and looking at the on-chain sort of storage infrastructure and the kind of flexibility we wanted to give uh, people and where the where the network is today, like when, when it costs so many dollars uh, to do basic things on the network. And it, we realized that, you know, like, when, we, when it comes to telling stories, we don't want you to pay 20, 30 bucks every time you want to write a story about your NFT. And that's why we went for a hybrid approach where, uh, at Hype, when you go and write a lore or write a story backstory about your NFT, we commit it on IPFS. But we also keep a local cache copy so that we have multiple points of redundancy. And that way, um, your load is committed on IPFS. as it's not something which is stored on um, hype servers or something like that. But we do keep a local cache so that the app itself is performant and that goes back to the point of convenience. And eventually what we would want to do is when the on-chain um, storage infrastructure is diverse enough and cost efficient enough we would want to be fully on chain and eventually you know like move, move the associations of nfts as well as the lore uh, to to on chain and then you know like we'll be completely redundant as a middle layer in the middle there but uh, until that point I think we as a platform could be pretty open in terms of accessibility to the lore, in terms of how people would want to build on top of that content as well as you know making sure that it's something which is, useful enough for an average user without costing money
0: yeah that's incredible so okay let's let's dive into the nuts and bolts of the product so how do projects uh get listed if you will or communities get access to hype and then how do communities then build out those lords so maybe we'll start with the first
1: yeah sure so right now i think it's 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 a temporary state. So we launched um, early in November, so we are still pretty new. And if you compare it to um, overall Ethereum, there are about 32.7 million tokens I'm counting on Ethereum, you know, like NFTs alone, and that accounts for almost 23,000 collections. So out of those, we support about 40 collections today. And that's a really small number when it comes to who has access to hype yet. Um, but we are planning to open up to entirety of Ethereum mainnet uh, by January, um, so it's, it's pretty close. And what that would mean is anyone who, who has an Ethereum NFT at that point will be able to sign up on Hype and use it. Um, up until that point, I think right now the communities who are part of Hype are, you know, like the adopters and users and any community who wants to come and integrate with Hype, like they're happy to just reach out to us and The integration just takes about a day or two, mostly because when we integrate, we make sure that we have all the information indexed so that the community members, when they uh, sign up, uh, all of their uh, sort of information related to metadata, which is still sort of centralized for the most part, you know, coming in from project servers or community servers or IPFS, it's all on there already on Hype, uh, and then, you know, that's it. That, that's when the integration goes live. And all you need to do is just connect your wallet, sign uh, to show that you are the owner of the wallet and you're good to go.
0: And so what, how, how do communities participate in that process? Because I remember, like I mentioned earlier, um, when I first discovered the product was when I was, uh, when Punk, there was a community engagement point for us to vote them in. How does that work? How do communities get involved in that? uh, Once uh, they the projects have come to you?
1: Yeah, well, um, once once they uh, come to us, I think so far we had been uh, introducing uh, access to communities as individual cohorts of 10 to 12 communities at a time, and DaoPunks was part of the second cohort. So when when the onboarding actually happens, you know, like all you need to do is just go in and start uh, building out lore for yourself. And essentially, it it comes down to individual communities. So, you know, like Hype is a blank canvas. So if it's about building out a fictional universe for your characters, you could go and do it on Hype and use that as a thematic for the rest of your community to make sure, you know, like the community is coming together to build around a common theme. And then there could be projects who just want to you know, keep it as an archive of collector statements. So something which comes to mind is Curio cards, for example, right? Curio cards that are about like 34 cards. It's a historic uh, project that it existed technically before uh, CryptoKitties. And well, the way they had been using Hype is there are 32 cards and not everybody knows why a certain card is preferred over for others. So what the card collectors had been doing, they had been going on Hype and talk about why they purchased their first card, how was it important to them, what made them pick a card over other card. And that way, every card sort of becomes like this evolving Wikipedia of sorts on, on Hype. And... That has been really interesting to see, and compare that to, say, a project like Avastars or Punks. we had been seeing really expansive sort of fictional backstories being written for every character, and that brings the character to life. They are not, you know, just a great artwork piece anymore. They are actually uh, actual personalities uh, which people are, you know, conjuring up using their imagination.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. You know, I think that that that's really interesting uh, because there's a lot of uh, value, I guess, just in uh, a, a, these the individuals being able to own their assets beyond just, you know, having them in a wallet, uh, but owning their assets in terms of their IP, right, and creating content for that. And I like that, you know, the identity goes beyond just an image, and the identity really goes deeply into a story. That then can transcend maybe even some of what the creators of these projects had intended. Um, And you could, yeah, you create more valuable experiences over time. I think, you know, one of the things in branding is you want to have something that's truly sticky, you know, that people keep coming back for. And I think if you can have communities building out stories that way, creating that stickiness to your product, to your project, I think, yeah, that's just a fantastic uh, tool. For both communities and individuals, long term.
1: Yep, and uh, that you know, like that really gives communities way more diverse tools to you know, like really build relationship with the NFTs they own, and you know, like really explore that frontier instead of you know just waiting and waiting for floor to go up. Right? You've got to work <laughs> to make that happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I personally I, I don't mind the floor going up. But anything that I've personally bought into, honestly, is because of the art first and because of the community second and everything else last. You know, I mean, the art to me, if it's, if it's original, if it's interesting, if it's colorful in the case of certain uh, NFTs. Uh, I really, I really appreciate that, especially because personally, I'm not a very color- colorful character. Black and white are the colors I wear all the time. Uh, gray would be like a, a bright color for me. Uh, <laughs> but in Web3, I definitely appreciate the colorfulness. So yeah, certainly those are some of the things I look for.
1: I I, I agree. And, you know, like to that point, just wanted to clarify as well, right, that um, uh, absolutely like folks who are buying in for the vibes of the community, what the artist stands for, or the community stands for. That's a great start. But, you know, like a lot of times I personally have seen communities like really building up expectations which can pull the artist down with this, you know, this overbearingness that, you know, can artists do something, right? Like, and it's not on the artist to always keep giving beyond what they have given already. And, you know, it also becomes, you know, like this bi-directional relationship where the community is now having ownership of an asset is basically contributing to that process of, of that creative process of evolving it further beyond what was there in the first uh, start. And I think that's where something like hype really comes in. And uh, I, I keep talking about hype uh, in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a position where, you know, you could go in and not only just talk about it like as text, but also really use it as a repository for being creative and imaginative about just about anything. So, for example, I personally, you know, go and uh, commission uh, artwork from artists I really admire and their art style I admire for the NFTs I own. And then, you know, I go in and post about it on Hype, knowing that those artworks, because they are now tagged, attached to these NFTs, are going to always be that rich, Sort of uh, encyclopedia, if you will, for every NFT I own, and those artworks are going to be committed in one place. They are not just going to be laying in my hardware somewhere, um, you know, waiting to be forgotten.
0: <laughs> Man, that is that's incredible. Uh, so now you're talking about hype, also as a tool for incentivizing commissioned art. I mean, that's a powerful statement. Well, um, so let's talk about, I guess, beyond where Hype is today, where is Hype going into the future? What can we expect, um, you know, in terms of development, both creative and technical development into the future from Hype?
1: So I think, you know, like it goes without saying that, you know, we, we know that the future is multi-chain, so we absolutely want to bring That aspect in uh, soon enough, and once once we are available for the entirety of Ethereum mainnet, we would want to expand into other L2s. We would want to you know build out through you know Optimism, Polygon, Immutable, and whatnot, like every other place where uh, you have NFTs. We would want to bring those communities in because the same principle applies regardless of the technology the NFTs are on. And another thing which we would want to really build out on is storytelling is going to be the core part of our uh, platform almost always but what we would want to do is we would want to keep building out our infrastructure as well for others to build on top of it so uh, if you have seen it uh, we already have you know apis available for people to just come in and use it for free to you know like really build out um, experiences on top of the content which people have been committing through Hype to, you know, showcase on their website or, you know, on their AR VR experience or wherever they would want. And eventually, What we want to do is we would want Hype to be a sort of one-stop shop for everything related to a community. So right now, it's about storytelling. We would want to, you know, build out automated feeds, like uh, what your community is buying and selling at the moment, right? Which NFT is the most load? Who are the most uh, active writers in your community and things like that? And all of that information is going to be available in one place. So you are not only going to be seeing just one facet of the NFT, you are going to be seeing, you know, multiple sort of bird-eye view analysis of what the community is up to when it comes to content.
0: And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you'd like to learn more about HYPE, please go to HYPE, that's H Y Y P E, and on Twitter at HYPE HQ, H-Y-Y P-E-H-Q. Thanks for listening to Crypto Sapiens. Please give us a follow, like, and a five-star review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And stay tuned for our next discussion.